I'm James Beatty. And I'm Sean Carroll. And welcome to the Rebuild Health and Fitness Podcast. Where do you want to start it? Um, we'll just say, welcome. That's all the hit songs <coughs> for everyone. For everyone? Yeah. What do you mean? Like, uh... Uh, Jonas Brothers, he writes for Adele, Beyonce. Yeah, I heard that. He wrote Halo. I'm recording. Of course you are. Whew. Well, fact, what a start. <laughs> yeah. All right, welcome to episode 42 of the Rebuild Health and Fitness podcast. And today's episode is about what the podcast was originally designed. Would you say designed? Created, yeah, created for. for. Yeah. You know, I think obviously our company being called Rebuild Health and Fitness, we wanted to have people on that have rebuilt their life through health and fitness or are rebuilding their life with health and fitness. Um, and today's guest, Kate Davey. Kate, Kate, Kate Davey or Kate Davey? Kate Davey. <laughs> she has multiple names on Facebook. Who knows who she is? She has aliases, but um, rightly so. So first we're going to... Uh, <laughs> We usually say at the end, we're going to go to the beginning. If you are listening, you must be listening because you've only just pressed play. If you will give us a review or jump online or share it with a friend or just give us five stars or just write, hey, James and Sean are great in Apple or Spotify. It goes a hell of a long way and really does help us out. Yeah, especially like sharing it on, if you do listen to it, screenshot it, um, share it in your, your stories on Instagram, Facebook. It does massively help. So, today's guest, Kate Davey, she will introduce herself soon, but I'm going to do a little bit of it now. So, Kate is the woman behind the camera here at Rebuild at the moment, and we're very lucky to have Kate um, as a part of Rebuild for now. I'm sure she won't be here long term. I'm sure her career will go off. So, Kate um, has been working in Dubai for the past eight years for some of the most recognizable publications in the world. You've got Cosmopolitan, Grazia, Hello, Time Out, Comic-Con. Expo Dubai. She's now back in Australia for XYZ reasons, which she will explain, doing a Masters of Communication at QUT. Um, but it's the reason of why she's back for what the purpose of this podcast is about. Yeah, I think um, like you just rattled off a very impressive resume. Like Kate is very, very good at what she does. So if you're listening to this and you're wondering like why, why the hell is she part of your media team it will make it will make sense in no a pressure, second guys. no pressure <laughs> so anyway kate how are you i'm all right are you nervous being on the camera yeah it's a very different vibe like because normally i'm just in the background tapping away and harassing yeah. you guys and gesticulating wildly and now to be with the mic on but as a journalist you would be the interviewer yeah, I'm used to asking the questions, not answering them. So that's going to be interesting. Can you move your mic a little bit closer? Oh, sorry. Just amateur. Yeah, I'm used to being in the background. <laughs> you just said that you, uh, a couple of names that you interviewed, one of Michael Bublé being one of them. Oh, he's so lovely. Craig David being another. He was a big one. He was supposed to have a five-minute interview and it went for 35 minutes and his manager was like, wrap it up, we've got to go. And he was like, no, I'm talking. I love Craig David. Sean just actually asked who Craig David was, which made me want to – Spit in his face. I still don't know. You like, do. Exactly. I know the song. I don't. I what's couldn't. your flavor? Tell me. What's yeah, I couldn't your flavor? tell you what he looks like. He's a beautiful man. He is a beautiful man. He's Gets still like with rocks age. Ibiza. He's still like the man of the main names in Ibiza DJs, still at the yeah. moment. Like everybody just, just hanging on. Is he loves it? No, he's still killing it. He's still. Uh, <laughs> he's still crushing, crushing life. So 
Kate, obviously I've explained a little bit, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, how did you end up, like, take us back to your old Wyndham days where you, or wherever you grew up and how you ended up in Dubai, being a big dog. Yeah, so I'm a Wyndham girl. I grew up in Wyndham North, went to Wyndham North State School and High School, both don't exist anymore, um, and went to uni on the sunny coast, studied journalism. I was working part-time in journalism in Brisbane and then I my mum was a teacher in Abu Dhabi and I really wanted to do full-time journalism because I just felt like if I was here I couldn't get that kind of foothold Mm. in the industry and it's kind of bigger fish smaller pond over there so I went over for a three-month trial and that then just never left I got a job at Time Out Abu Dhabi um, and things just kind of snowballed from there so then I moved to um seven days newspaper which is like metro in the UK it was a big national newspaper uh then I moved that closed down sadly so then I moved to love in Dubai which was a BuzzFeed style mm. website um then I worked on yeah got uh headhunted for ITP who published Cosmopolitan Grazia hello and timeout so I went back to that company and did digital content for them um, so bounced around a bit, but that was over the course of eight years. Mm. So a lot of digital content. And what are your some some of your biggest achievements within that that time from a professional standpoint? Um, uh, when I worked on Comic Con, which is Middle East Film and Comic Con, which is huge. Yeah, we got um, an, a reach of 181 million impressions on the hashtag in the week of Comic Con. Uh, so that was really significant. Um, it's a lot of people. Rolling out <laughs> rebrands of websites was something I really enjoyed. Uh, getting page views up to, I think it was 3 million on Love in Dubai. Um, so there was a lot of. That's why his Oz rebuild still on 2,000 likes. Yeah, it'll get there. <laughs> Come on, Kate. And talk to us about what you were doing over there. Obviously, you were working, you were setting up your career, but fitness has obviously been a big part of. Your yeah, life so as well, it was or? a funny story there. Um, I. My weight's kind of fluctuated. I've always been a sporty kid. Like we always did swim club, um, when I'm not swim club represent, uh, netball, basketball, soccer, a bit of everything. Um, but when I was over there, I started ballooning out my weight. Um, my friend passed away in 2014 and I kind of fell off, like my health just fell apart because she was my healthy friend and she passed away and then – so I just went, well, if she was healthy and she died of cancer, what's the point of being healthy? Mm. And there was I, – my weight got up to like 88 kilos and I'm only 5'5", five five, so it was quite yeah. big. And then um, my boss at the time said, oh, there's this boxing TV show that's taking applicants as a reality TV show. Can you go and interview some of the people and do a story on it? I was like, yeah, that's cool. And then he goes, actually, can you like sign up and do, do the TV show? And so I signed up for the applications for the trial and then I got in, which meant I was on a white-collar boxing program where mm. they train you for eight weeks to have a fight at the end. Mm. Yeah, sick. And that kind of launched me back into caring about my health because it was like they had a nutritionist c- consult you and you had people around you who were really invested in your health. So then I did that, which then led to um, I got recruited for another TV show, which was a triathlon Um so then they trained me to do a triathlon and then I actually won my age group in my first ever triathlon. Then I got another boxing match and then I discovered CrossFit and then I was doing CrossFit and basketball. Uh, so I was always very active and trying to do everything. 
Yeah, because that's how I sort of first mm. met you, right? Because you you still came back to Wynnum at least once or once or twice a year. Yeah, at least once or twice. Yeah, three times some years if I was lucky. Yeah, and then you'd sort of stop in and train here for a week or two and. Try to fix you up as best I could before I <laughs> sent you back again. Yeah, I'd come home and stay in my family house in Wynnum and so this was a great place to come and I, so I came every year and it felt um, really good to have somewhere that I could keep coming back. So I really enjoyed that. She never let us know though. She just walked in. And just walk in. Like, yeah, I was like, I'm oh. back. <laughs> <laughs> there she is. Rock up in the Porsche. <laughs> so obviously you did CrossFit for how long there? Uh, five years. Which is a long time. Yeah. I... Stopped and started because I had injuries and then when I was boxing, I couldn't do it as well. I broke my mm. ankle, mm. so I stopped for a while and then I, yeah, so I was in and out a lot, but it was pretty consistent. Yeah. And then what happened? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, the, you mean the whole health? Yeah, yeah. So, I've been kind of documenting this because I didn't realize how long the journey was. Um, October 2019, I started getting really tired and I've been a vegetarian for 14 years. And so I was getting really tired. I went to the doctor and they said, oh, you're vegetarian, you're anemic. That's why you're tired. I stopped training. I was just like, I can't get out of bed. I don't know. This isn't me. I used to do CrossFit in the morning at 7am till 8. Then I'd shower and go to work 9 till 6, 9 till 7, then go play basketball or go out for a work dinner or socialize. I was always very active and very busy. And it just went from doing that to going, I can't even get to gym, cancelling my plans in the evening. I'm exhausted. Mm. I went to the doctor and they're like, oh, you're anemic, it's vegetarian. I was like, but I've been anemic for so long. I've been vegetarian for so long. Yeah. Why now? And then they said, oh, maybe your body's just trying to fight off a virus. So then they gave me some anti-inflammatories. Like they put me on an IV drip every time I went in. They'd do the blood test, say you're anemic, and send me on my merry way. Something that you already knew. Yeah. Yeah. And this is all in Dubai, yeah. right? Yeah. And, um, and so they put me on iron supplements and it, that was kind of the end of it. And then, um, then it was COVID started happening. I was tired and I was just trying to push through just managing to get to the office and go to work and that was enough. Um, and then March, I stopped eating. Like I couldn't eat. I was, felt sick. I was probably eating like 800 calories a day just because my roommate would cook and force feed me something. Yeah. Because I was waking up in the morning going like I feel sick. I was having stabbing pains in my tummy. It was grey. Um, I was saying to the boys before though, this wasn't a uh, – wasn't like I woke up one day and I was sick. It was every day it got a little bit worse. But because I got made redundant, I lost my healthcare in Dubai. So I couldn't go to the doctor. As a result of like COVID and all that? Yeah. And the yeah. economic kind of crash. And so I couldn't get the tests I needed. And I thought, oh, I'll just pay the cash and see the doctor. But if I go to the doctor, then they're going to have me have to pay for tests and then it's like it'll just balloon out of control and I don't have that money because I've lost my job. So it was like, well, if I'm going back to Australia at the end of the year, do I pay for my own healthcare? Do I wait and find a job or do I wait till I get back to Australia? So I thought I'll just maybe just wait. I'm not that bad. Um, So that was in March and Dubai locked down for two months and it was like you could only leave your house once every three days for groceries. And yeah, I, I found this really interesting. So how were they tracking that? You could 
you had to apply for a uh, for a move permit. Yeah, and then you you couldn't if you were out on the street, the police would check your move permit to see if it was approved or not. And um, I couldn't even be bothered walking to the corner store, so I didn't leave my house for eleven days. I was in an apartment. Yeah, <laughs> I was just too tired. I didn't care. Then in I think it was end of May, start of June, they opened up again, and I saw people I hadn't seen for a few months, and they're like. What's happened to you? Like you've your body's changed. You some people said I looked great. I didn't look great. Yeah, I lost the no. Yeah, I looked skinny. Yeah, I was. I had big black circles under my eyes, and I was grey. And but I kind of didn't realize. Yeah, so like like very gaunt and drained. Yeah, and malnourished because yeah. I hadn't been eating because I was so sick. Like I wasn't training at all. I'd try and do twenty minutes of yoga, and that would just deplete me. So. I, yeah, went back into the community and people were like, oh, you look so skinny. And um, and then I was trying to get home. And oh, I, yeah, that would have been a bloody nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> so I had my flight booked to Melbourne in July and then Melbourne's outbreak happened. Mm. So my flight got cancelled and I was like, oh, well, I'll try to get Brisbane. Can't get a flight to Brisbane. Tried to rebook to Melbourne. Couldn't get into Melbourne. Looked at Sydney. It was like uh, $5,000 a ticket. I was going, oh, well, where do I go? I don't know. And then um, so I had my flight from Melbourne moved back. Like it didn't get cancelled. It got moved back to the end of the six-week lockdown. Yep. And I was like, oh, well, hopefully after the six-week lockdown we're fine and I can fly into Melbourne. And then um, New South Wales was like we're going to implement – paid quarantine from if you book after tonight. So that day I looked on flights to Sydney and there was one flight left on one Etihad flight that was $5,000. And it was business class but there was no economy flights left. It was just $5,000. And I messaged mum and I was like, should I just book this as a contingency in case my Melbourne flight gets cancelled? It's very expensive but probably need a backup. Yeah. And she was like, just get home. Because she'd been hearing how sick I was. And she yeah. was like, you just need to get home. And um, and so I booked it. And thank God I did. Because then my Melbourne flight got cancelled because things got worse in Victoria. Yeah. So I got on the Sydney flight um, after a bit of difficulty because I had to get COVID tests to fly out and everything. Um, and then so when I got to the Abu Dhabi airport, it was like the culmination of all the stress. Um. I went to the bar because it was business class and I was so stressed. I just got hammered at the bar. Winner. Yeah, as you do. <laughs> and then I got really hungover and because obviously my body was not happy and I was sick. When I got off the plane, I was all sweaty. And so that they thought was presenting as a fever. So then I got put in a health hotel for COVID. It was like, oh. Then I was quarantined in the health hotel in Sydney and then there was the breakout in greater Sydney so then Brisbane declared Sydney a hotspot so then I didn't know if I could fly home to Brisbane Hmm. from the quarantine hotel once I was done quarantine Uh, hotel is that like just like hospital floor in a hotel what's what's so you're in a hotel like I was in Meriton Suites because that's a health hotel which is there's quarantine hotels and health hotels Uh, so you're in a physical hotel room and you're just locked in there for two weeks um, health hotels are run by the health department. The quarantine hotels are run by the police. Right. Okay. So I was in a health hotel, which meant I had a nurse um, checking my temperature every day and things to see if my symptoms got worse. 
But I managed to get to Brisbane and then I went to the doctor like two days later and I had this whole list. I'll read you the list of the symptoms I had because it's th- – this was like the whole build-up and I was like, I just need some free health care. Yeah. Good old Australia. <laughs> yeah. So I went and I said, I've had – I've lost about 12 kilos. I have stomach aches, um, fatigue. There's like just weakness. I've been waking up sweating in the night. I get up to go to the toilet about four times a night. I have reflux. I have temperatures. I'm constipated. I've black circles under my eyes. I think I might be celiac because um, of the stabbing pains in my abdomen. So she did a blood test. And, um, and two days later she was like, it's not good news. It's like, okay. She's, she's like, you've been very sick for a very long time. Mm. And I just started crying. I was like. Thank God. Mm. I know that sounds messed up, but I was like, thank God I'm not crazy. I'm yeah, not yeah, yeah. a depressed, boring person who has no energy. That's <laughs> not who I am. I am sick. Um, but it turned out it was kidney failure. Mm. Um, normally you have a GFR of 100. Mine was 17. So I use that as a percentage so people can understand yep. how bad it was. So my kidney function was at 17%. Um, so my creatinine, which is your muscle waste product, my uric acid, everything was out of whack. And my um, your kidney produces the red, the hormone that creates yeah. red blood cells. And so my red blood cells were a third of what they're supposed to be. It's crazy. So your body's like literally shutting down. Yeah. You're if, dying. If I hadn't got on that flight from Dubai to Sydney, I probably just would have died or collapsed in Dubai after a few months. Like my body... Because your kidneys are so resilient, they they adapt and mm. so they hide things. And so things get worse and worse, but you don't realize. Yeah, right. How important is healthcare, man? Like, do you know? Do you know what I mean? Like if you would have just stayed there, you know, through a massive pandemic, maybe you couldn't afford to get back, you know, $5,000 is a lot of money. And then quarantine, you couldn't afford to get back, mm. you know, over here, you know, or you weren't lucky enough to... You know, be born into Australia as a citizen, and this is where you're from. Like, what what could be right? You know, what could be right now? You may not be here right now. That's the. Well, I didn't use my healthcare for ages, and so when I got made redundant, they were like, "But we'll keep you on on a freelance rate, and we'll pay you the same." And I was like, "Great! I don't have like accountability for hours that I have to be in the office. Mm. I can work remotely. This is awesome." Didn't even think about not having healthcare as a side effect. I was like, who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah I can yeah. travel. Um, so I, I didn't realise until I needed it that how important that really is. And how expensive is it over there to see? Was um, So I got uh, – when I had my ankle surgery, I had a plate put in because I broke it. That was $10,000. I had ankle surgery here in Australia and I had eight – I don't want to be better than you, but I had 18 <laughs> pins put in my leg <laughs> – um, it was up to the value of something like $18,000, but I didn't have to pay a penny. Yeah, healthcare. Yeah. Crazy. It's important. Like, well, it's just, that would have just been through the Medicare system, right? Commonwealth. Yeah. How good? Just from the Commonwealth. Yeah, yeah so I don't even know Praise how much. Praise the Queen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how much um, I owe to Queensland Health apart from my life. Yeah. Um, but I will never complain about paying tax again because they saved my life and I – Got so I'm so grateful that for free healthcare and the public system here has the best minds in the world. Mm. Like my case was so strange 
and yeah. they they solved it. So let's 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 go through it. Obviously, from the from the diagnosis, because realistically, as we're talking about this, it's still fairly emotional because it really wasn't that long ago. It was it's very fresh. August September last year. Not only twelve months ago. Yeah, and um, there was so much trauma. It's still hard for me to mm. process mm. a lot of it. I shut a lot of it out. Um, that yeah, I have PTSD. I say that with no flippancy. My mm. psychologist has said. Because you had to have to think you were going to die. You have to have like there's yep. certain things. Um, I went – so my GP referred me to the renal unit in the public health system. She's like, I don't know how long it's going to take, but I've put you – I've said it's an emergency. Like in the meantime, if anything changes in your body, take your paperwork to the emergency department. They'll admit you immediately because they'll see how severe this is. Um, thank God. So that was on, I think, a Thursday and I got a renal appointment on the Monday. Yeah. So I went to the renal unit at the PA and they said, we don't know why your kidneys are failing. It'll be easier to admit you and then run all the tests as an inpatient. And I was like, oh, cool, when? They're like, now. Yeah. (laughs) So we went to the emergency department and they admitted me that day. Um. So then they they put a catheter in, which was the most excruciating pain of my life. Um, Not in your arm. No. <laughs> <laughs> in my urethra. And so my bladder was distended. It was massive. So your typical bladder holds like 400 mils. Um, that night I passed three litres of urine and blood clots and goo. Um, my bladder holds over 1.2 liters, I think. It's from my belly button all the way down to my groin. It's and that's massive. still now, right? That's yeah. Still, yeah. So they put the catheter in and because my bladder was so infected, it was like I was sitting on a white hot poker mm. and I didn't sleep all night. It was like, um, I, I, sorry, it's a bit like, it was traumatic. Um, I didn't sleep till seven in the morning. They gave me fentanyl. They gave me endone. They gave me Valium. I vomited things up. Mm. I was crying. I, I wouldn't sit still because it was just I couldn't lay didn't help. Sitting didn't help. Uh, the only thing that kind of helped was sitting on the toilet because it like kind of let the muscles relax a bit. But even that was agony. And so I was just crying and I was like, please take this out of me. Take it out of me. And the doctor was like, no, that make it worse it's just getting that'll just delay the problem mm. you just need to live through this and so I did <laughs> and uh it was seven in the morning and I finally like closed my eyes Seven fifteen, the urology doctors like oh, yeah, knock, knock. yeah they're like oh we can come back later I was like please don't just tell mm. me what's wrong um yeah so they found my bladder was distended and wasn't emptying on its own, um, it was huge. And my ureters, which connect your bladder to your kidneys, so your kidneys feed your waste product into your bladder and then you weigh it out. Mine were really distended and folding on themselves. Mm. So they were like, we don't know why your bladder is so angry. We need to find out why because it is angry. It's been poisoning your kidneys, which is why they're so unwell. Um, that night they got my function, kidney function dropped down to 14 because I was so dehydrated. And I got down to 65 kilos that night too. Um, I hover now at about 72, so that's… PB. 
insanely light. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they, yeah, there was a week I was in the renal unit and they ran hundreds of tests. They thought it was a parasite. So they'll like go through your whole travel history. Yeah. We yeah. need everywhere you've ever been, every freshwater lake you've swum in, everything. Something might have gone up there and created this. Um, they tested every bodily fluid. They didn't know. So then they put me to, they referred me to the urology team and it had infectious diseases uh, weighing in as well. And then it was like, we just don't know what's going on. So I was in there for a week and they were like, right, we need to book a cystoscopy, which is a bladder biopsy Hmm. and put some stents in to give you a ureter support. So this is a surgical procedure you go under. Um, So I went home for two days with, the catheter in and a little like catheter carry bag, mm-hmm. which was really fun. <laughs> Did you go out with it? And so I still had like no appetite. I was still weak. I was vomiting a lot. And you were, you would have still been on like endo and, endo and everything, pre drugged up still. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For the the whole month in and out of hospital, yeah. I was just yeah, little little in a side cloud. yeah side <laughs> side venture here. I find it so like I just had random train of thought. I find it so crazy, like for one one person, how much attention and effort everyone was going in through trying to solve this thing, like for for you, like and and you wouldn't be obviously in the only person in the hospital who'd be that sick. You know, we've got hospitals fucking everywhere with people who are facing like similar troubles. But then during the whole pandemic, you get like mentally they must be just mentally special people thinking that our doctors and nurses are in some kind of conspiracy and part of this covid pandemic who are like working with bill gates to inject you with like microchips and shit they don't have time for that no like (laughs) they literally help people and like you know to go like to go through all those testings and all that stuff it's super expensive and you didn't have to pay bloody Dime. No, it's amazing. Yeah. That, like I had MRIs, I had um, CTs, I had ultrasounds, I had everything and I was in there for a week. And you're one person. I was a special case though. Mm-hmm. I had particular interest in my case. Like all of my doctors were very interested because they didn't so know what unusual, was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. The, my urology um, consultant, she took the case to – it's called Brand Round where all the urology doctors in Brisbane get together once yeah. a month and talk about freaky cases. She took mine and was like, what do you think? And everyone was like, we got no idea. Let us know what you find. Mm. So they just didn't know why my bladder was not playing ball. And then she said, but they did suggest we do a bladder pressure test. So then the I went home for two days. I came back on a Wednesday and before my surgery, they were like, we'll do the bladder pressure test, which is inserting tubes up your urethra uh, and filling your bladder with fluid and then trying to pee it out and they measure the pressure in your bladder. So they did this to me and you have to sit on a toilet seat with these tubes up your hoo-ha with like three people in the room watching you try and pee. <laughs> and I just I couldn't pee and I was crying. It was so painful. My bladder was just excruciating like every fiber of my body felt like it was on fire and then so we talked about the results and I said to the doctor like what's the worst case scenario is it a kidney transplant she's like no you can't have a kidney transplant your blood is too angry there's 
too many problems. You couldn't even have a transplant if you needed one. So she says this and I felt like the room was caving mm. in. I was like, so I might die? What would you do? Like, I don't understand. How can there not be mm. yeah. a solution? I might die. This might be my life. I'm done. How mm. many sunsets do I get to see? I don't know. Yeah. I might never leave this fucking hospital. So then I like walked to the surgical care unit to be admitted and then I sat down in the reception and I just started crying. I was like, and I was alone because it's COVID, so yeah. I couldn't have anyone with me. I was just like, oh, I might die. I might die. And the nurses were like, what do we do with this girl just sobbing in the entryway? Yeah. So they, You're making everyone else really uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd have to fast for the surgery, oh. so I was dehydrated. I hadn't had any coffee or food. I was hungry and tired and confused. Um, so they did the... The bladder biopsy and they're like, oh, we haven't found anything. The only thing that's been suggested is um, let's do an MRI to see if there's – because your bladder is doing this weird thing that sometimes this spinal cord tumour does but you don't have any of the other symptoms because when you have a spinal cord tumour, typically you lose function or get pains and numbness in your legs and your bowel starts doing strange things too. You haven't got that so we don't think it's that but we'll do an MRI just to check. Um, so they did the MRI and it turned out I did have this tumour. It's like the size of an Easter egg in mm. my spinal cord that was pushing on the nerve ending of my bladder, cutting off the communication between my brain and my bladder. So I wasn't able to empty my own bladder. It's crazy. Can you talk about it? It kind of explained a lot because in retrospect I thought like every time I did box jumps or skipping, I'd wet my pants mm. and not like a – mum little yeah, bit floor. it was like a lot and I was so self-conscious and I'd go pee before every workout and I'd still have trouble and I always just thought oh, I've got a weak pelvic floor mm. it was like no no your bladder was so full mm. that it was just yeah, splashing just, but that's and at the time I suppose you do just think you've got a weak pelvic floor because other women in there as well also have a weak pelvic floor yeah it's like a running joke it's a nervous wee before the workout so it's we all do normal it. and the same with a lot of symptoms before you know, obviously, we hope things never go this far for anyone, but you get symptoms, and a lot of times you do just play your your symptoms off. To and be well, the else. doctors in Dubai did too. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. And so I was like, well, they're the experts. If they're saying I'm fine, then I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. Why would I question what they're saying? Mm. Uh, but I just never realized how sick I was. And now that I'm better, I was like, I was so sick. I was dying. Mm, yeah. I just didn't realize because it's like boiling a frog. It's like every day gets a little bit. Worse. Obviously, it was the the good effect that they found the tumor on your spine because that was the answer to yeah. a lot of the problems. But it must have been crazy at the time to go, "Hey, you've got a kidney failure. Oh, and you've got a tumor on your spine." You're like, "Okay, cool." And a neurogenic cool. bladder, and yeah. which is swollen and infected and so, distended. So it's like good. So obviously, you found this tumor on your spine, but this was was this the answer to a lot of the? Yeah. So the neuro- neurosurgery department then explained it, and he's I met him on the Thursday, I think, and he's like. It's not a question of if you get the surgery, you have to get the surgery or you will die. Mm. And then it was like, okay, when? And he said, oh, maybe next Monday we'll check with a renal unit if they're happy that your kidneys can like cope with the the surgery. And then they go, oh, we've got an opening on Monday. So you're coming in Monday, we'll cut open. It's a four and a half hour surgery. Um, It's called a laminectomy. So they Mm. remove part of your backbone off, cut your spinal cord open suck the tumour out, um, sew your spinal cord back and then sew your muscles back up across your back. They don't put the bone back on and they say you don't need it. Um, 
So there's a – yeah, it was – quite scary because they said the side effects are and you know when the, there's yeah, always yeah. side possible side effects tell, yeah. you could lose use of your legs you could lose use of your bowel your bladder we don't know if your bladder's going to get better anyway it could get worse so they're rattling off all these things and it's like, oh well i could use lose use of my legs but i'm so sporty that'd be horrible but there's it's not negotiable like yeah. you have to have the surgery We've booked you in. Like, okay. So I go and have the surgery. Had to spend three days flat on my back because if you sit up, um, it runs the risks of leaking spinal cord fluid, which can create more complications. That was a really horrible time. Um, Like I couldn't even sit up to drink coffee. It was Mm. like dribbling down my face. It just felt... I love the fact that you were still trying to drink coffee. (laughs) Of course. Yeah, that's it. They have instant in there, so I took the coffee bags because I was like, this is comfort things. But I couldn't even like reach over to my bag to get stuff and it was, um, yeah, it was a really horrible time. Like I was itchy. I had um, a a rash from a kidney failure but also from laying on my back for three days. And so I was scratching and I was sweaty and uncomfortable and I couldn't like really move anywhere and then I was in this room with three 80-year-olds who were getting hip replacements. So they were up walking around and I was so angry. I was like, I am 32 and pretty healthy and mm. I can't walk around and you guys can. I was so annoyed. But then they moved me into a different ward. There was like a 17-year-old with scoliosis in a halo. There was a 33-year-old with bone cancer. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'll shut up now. Mm, yeah. So then – yeah, it was three days on my back. Then I was allowed to sit up. But we got to the f- day five and they were letting me – they said, you can stand up. I was like, yes, I can go to the toilet on my own. So I've walked to the toilet. I always push a little bit too hard. Like this is a recurring personality trait. I walked to the toilet and I got dizzy and I kind of squatted down and started vomiting. And one of the girls called the nurse because she's like, oh, shit, she's vomiting. So the nurse came in and got me up off the floor and put me in a wheelchair. And as he sat me down, I like blacked out and had a seizure or seizure-like activity. Hmm. So I was like in this weird black and I started screaming because it felt like I can't escape this black and I don't know what's happening. And so then they had to call a code for me and like all these doctors came running in and they've put me in the bed and then I've come to and I was just like, what just happened? They're like, we think you've had a seizure. And, but it was uh, seizure-like activity. It was just because I'd pushed yeah. too hard. Yeah. Like you can't – 10 metres is a lot when you haven't walked five metres yeah. in, in a week. Uh, so, yeah, I had a seizure and then um, I had use of my legs, obviously. And then from the painkillers, you get quite constipated and you're not allowed to go home until you poo. Mm. And it got to a point where it had been a week since my surgery and I hadn't pooed. And they were like, you can't go home until you open your bowels. I was like, oh, okay, what do we do? And they were like, well, we can put something up there to get you going. They were giving me all kinds of medication. Um, and there was one day where just nothing was happening. It was the week had hit and it was I had to have, I think, seven suppositories and enemas in one day to try and get things moving because they were like, if you don't, you're going to start vomiting up waste. 
Pooflu. Yeah. <laughs> Pooflu. <laughs> what is it? Hamish and Andy, they said, if you, if you keep your fart in three times, then you'll start bringing it out your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so imagine poo coming out. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. It Have was you seen that vomiting. episode of South Park? <laughs> Where's this going now? <laughs> no. is, is that the one with Bono? Where he has a giant shit? No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, carry on. <laughs> anyway, so the seventh <laughs> enema worked after a while. That's what they say, isn't I it? I had to wear a seventh, nappy. Seventh is charm. I didn't care. I didn't care. It was like, there were little milestones, like when I could walk myself and have my own shower was a milestone and then I could walk the ward to the vending machine to get a like sparkling water milestone mm. when I could get down to Starbucks milestone it was just mm. like these little things they sound so pitiful but they were really big for me in that yeah, moment because yeah. I couldn't walk we nearly died yeah you've very been driven by coffee yes <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. finally got and to now, Starbucks and now, and now you bloody have flat whites with oat milk I don't what are you doing great time. black coffees too Mix it up. Yeah, so then um, I got to go home after a week. Then it was a six-week recovery. Uh, they ha- You have to take things very easy because they've cut the muscles in your back open. They, like, pull them right apart and hold them open with metal pins. Mm-hmm. So it is a very uh, long recovery process. Got a good scar too. Yeah, it's about, I think, 12 centimetres long. It's nice and neat, though. They did a great job. It's 12 centimetres big? Ask him for it. <laughs> it is for a scar Yeah okay Cool 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 <laughs> Shit Yeah so I wanted to get back into training as soon as I could Because mm. I felt bad but in a way that was like my body's feeling better Because I felt like I could do things I still have to To this day I still have to have medication patches on To reduce the pressure in my bladder That'll be forever um, The damage has been done in terms of my kidneys and my bladder. So my I'll need a kidney transplant one day. I can't have anti inflammatories or vitamin C um or anything that damages my kidneys. I have to be very careful about um what I put in my body for my kidneys. And then I have to self catheterize because I don't have use of my bladder, um, which means I have little plastic straws to help me wee. And I have to be careful with that because if that then builds up again, then that'll poison my kidneys worse. Yeah. Yep. Um, but every time I get my kidneys checked, they're a little bit better. So they're That's at awesome. 37% now. It's amazing. Which is, it's small, but it's climbing. Um, the doctors say it could get up to 50%. It's just that I won't have, my kidneys won't last my lifetime. Yeah. That's the reality. So I will need a kidney transplant one day. What a, what a, it's pretty deep. It's harrowing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's amazing but, and, you know, we appreciate sharing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's always, always, I think, powerful to hear these stories because it, you know, if people often, so often don't invest in their health and sometimes, you know, it's, you know the one, it's the one thing you should always invest in because, again, if you, you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Anything. That was anything. a reality that I learned was like, Nothing else matters. I don't care. I don't care about Yeah, you can lose your job. Money. You can buy, yeah, you know. I was like, and when I was in the hospital, all I was thinking was, I just want to go sit at home with a cup of coffee yeah, the with thing. my yeah. family and watch the sun go down. That's all I want. I was listening to Xavier Wright in my headphones because I could hear like his music has a lot of birds, like native birds, like mm. kookaburras, and there's like trees blowing in the breeze and you just go, 
oh, I just want to see this. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's such small things. And that was what I was just yearning for when I was in hospital. I think it's, I think it's amazing. And, you know, we'll talk about your return. Your return. Return of the Mac. But it's sort of that <laughs> fault responsibility situation now. You know, like what has happened to you is no fault of your own. No fault of your own, you know. What I mean, you were fit, you were healthy, you were active, which I think is sometimes important to put out there that you can still be fit down. and healthy yeah. and strong. And you know, sometimes shit just happens. Was it? Was that the case with the the tumor? Was it just like it was pure, just a freaky pure bad luck? It was just like bodies just grow weird things sometimes. Yeah. Bodies are weird as they're amazing, but they're if I had have found it earlier, I wouldn't need a kidney transplant. If yep. I but how would I have found it earlier? The doctors, I don't think the doctors in Dubai would have found it. It was such a long journey to discover what was causing it by some very, very intelligent people. Mm. And I don't think that many doctors would have had the lateral thinking and problem-solving abilities that my doctors mm. had. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. So obviously now you've took everything into your grasp and you're taking responsibility for your health again. Talk to us about this now. Like, how has your mind shifted? Because obviously, we've had many conversation since you've been here about, and you know, you did some work with Sean, reining it in, reining it in <laughs> at the start, and obviously, you were trying to give education as much as you can, and you're you're being here. So, talk us what your mindset was like coming back into the gym, and then how it's progressed to where it is now. So, when I um, came back, because I used to drive past gyms and I just cry because I'd be jealous that everyone's working out, and I was like, I just want to be. A sporty person again. Mm. That's who I am. And so I messaged Sean and was like, I've had some fucked up shit happen to me. Can you PT me, please? Because I was like, I know him. I know the gym. I trust him. It's a safe space for me. Mm. So we started because I said to you, right, I don't trust myself. I need someone else. Yeah. To, to like keep <laughs> an eye on me. <laughs> Because I think I'll get too excited and I'll hurt myself. And so we did PT and I didn't join classes. For ages. Yeah, it was I think four weeks. Even longer, I think. Even Six. even then yeah. it was you could only come to my class. Yeah, and capacity because that's a bit less strenuous. Yeah. Didn't touch a barbell for a long time. Like I think, yeah, to paint, paint the picture, like the first sessions we did were so, so basic. It was... Just really gentle because I hadn't trained in about a year, yeah, because I'd just been steady decline of health and I'd kind of forgotten. I was so out of touch with my body and I was scared to move my back. And so you just were getting me, I think, used to moving again, right? Yeah, yeah, I think we did a lot of of machine, machine work, some holds, like as basic as you could get just Mm. to. Again, build confidence, but do enough so you could feel like you were making progress. Yeah. That, that's like – because when you feel like your body's let you down and failed you, you want to – it's building the confidence back up again. Then it's like, oh, hey, shit, shit's getting better. I'm, mm. you know, building that resilience That's that I want. I remember the day you were like, I think we can go back to classes now. And I was like, got in the car and had a little cry. It's yeah. like, this is a win. I've Boom. got to a place. And when was this? This was end of last year, I think year, it was December. It? Yeah, December, it was quite yeah. late because it was six weeks recovery and then the physio was like, you can do stuff, just be careful. Yeah. And it was like, okay, um, 
and then I told you and it was like it's still obviously because I want to go home. Mm. I want to put everything into everything. And there was one class we were doing like deadlifts and deadlifts I was always real strong. Like I had – I was on the leaderboard in my gym in Dubai for deadlifts. I was like, I am strong. <laughs> but also I had lost 14 kilos. Mm. I had kidney failure, anemic, had spinal surgery and I think I was lifting like – I don't know, 40 kilos and I got emotional about it because it was like everyone else is just moving these massive numbers and 40 kilos was hurting me and I got emotional and I was like welling up and I think it was Henry at the time came over and he's like what's going on and I was like I can't can't do this like everyone else is getting sorry I'm getting emotional (laughs) Everyone else is doing so well mm. and I can't even move this tiny number. Like I've fallen so far. And he was like, Kate, you need to reframe it. People have big numbers on their barbell. But let's look at what's on your barbell. You've got kidney failure. You've got anemia. You've got this weight loss. You've got spinal cord surgery. Like mm. give yourself a break. <laughs> and still in the classes, like we did um, kettlebell twists the other day and the Pain response triggers something in my brain and I just get emotional about it. Definitely. And I have to calm myself down. Yeah. Well, that's w- part of your, your PTSD, right? Yeah. And it's it's like I want to push and I want to hit highs and I'm excited that I physically am strong and I can do things. But I still have to acknowledge that my body's not quite where it could be because I've been through a lot. Yeah, yeah. And so there's always this, like, we have a lot of conversations about yeah. what's good pushing and what's bad pushing. Like, you push through things to get PBs, but then how hard do you push until it's, like, irresponsible? I'm still not quite there. But I think it's just looking for progress. Obviously, this is an extreme case, but we speak about it in the gym constantly with people that are coming back from having babies or when they're coming back from injuries and a big downfall with people and oh, and athletes and yeah. Sean's been there and I've been self is where you try and get back to where you were. That's the only thing you have in your head is like, I was here. How do I get back to this person? Because if I'm here, then that's going to be great again. But we, you, you, you can't and we can't look at it like that. Like you have to look at the situation now as a new opportunity. Like that person is, I want to say gone, but it's, it's the past. Do you know what I mean? Like now is a new opportunity. It doesn't mean that you can't be like that, but it also doesn't mean that you can't be better than that it doesn't mean that you can't be different like it's just reframing the mindset around it yeah and i guess if we if we break things down a little bit further for for you, you we look at it in the sense that it's like okay you may not be able to physically push yourself as you once once did but you would never have this new appreciation for what health actually is and why you ac- actually should train and focus on your nutrition and hydration and all the little thing and sleep we're still <laughs> working on. Um, but all the little things around that, like it's a terrible thing that's happened. But the butterfly effect of you being able to share this story is perhaps going to resonate with, you know, one person who then might make some changes in their life, which then can have a flow on effect to their family. And before you know it, like, you know, by reaching one or two people, you've effectively reached eight 16 the exponential growth of that can be can be huge and i don't think that can be underestimated and you're a journalist so you can write all about this shit and make it sound really cool (laughs) that's what i'm hoping is sharing this is like reminding people listen to your body and, and don't 
just take one doctor's opinion as gospel. If you don't feel right, get a second opinion. that's very important. Look into it. Look into the broader picture. If it's not that, then maybe it's this. You know, it was – I just took what they said. I was like, okay, and I'm – Yeah, well, you're supposed to trust, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, you – like people – it's the same with – like, again, just bringing it back to sort of nutrition so it's a bit more of an understandable concept. But people are the experts of their own body. Like, if something generally doesn't feel right for someone, then it's not right for them. There's always a there's always another way. So, I think that don't think that can be underestimated. Like, you know your body best. You might not understand like why things are happening, but you know what feels good and what doesn't feel good, right? Yeah, and it's, I know Kate will absolutely love this because she absolutely adores this guy. But it's like just a, like <laughs> Ross actually says, Ross. <laughs> Who's that? I don't know if we've mentioned him before. Ross Esley says that you're, you know, you are your own best scientist. Yeah. Yeah, Sean's right. You know, even though you may have discussions with people, we have discussions about nutrition. I'm like, no, no. I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I've had a couple of knee surgeries. <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> and like, there was, when. You're going to compare it to Kate's kidneys now. That's incomparable. Mine was way, <laughs> <laughs> mine was way He's worse. He's one up in your ankle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I went in for an MRI and, um, Came out of it, got the results, and they said it's fine. There was there was nothing wrong. I was like, I can't walk downstairs. Like something is not right. And then you know, doctors like, oh no, it's sweet. So I fucking changed surgeons, got another MRI, and it could have just been the technician or the way the scan was done. But yeah, it came out and it's like, yeah, it's cooked. <laughs> so again, like you know, if I had to listen to that surgeon, the other doctor could have done further. Further damage by just, just a, on yeah, and just and carried on through and think, or you think you're fucking crazy. Mm. It's like, yeah, I know my, <laughs> you know your body when it's not feeling right. That's it. So you, Kate, pretty much are the definition of resilience at this not moment. Not really cop that. Of this, well, um, yeah. let's not talk about it. You'll, 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 you're, you're you're right. the female version. You're the female version. We'll get you to swim around, win them, and then we'll start like comparing things. That's you know? it. Ah, oh, come on, go in there. <laughs> but you can only build build sort of true real, um, resilience through adversity and you've been through a hell of a lot of adversity i'm very uh, happy that you've obviously found us here selfishly yeah i'm still not out of the woods and i think one of the most valuable things has been coming here not not just from a training perspective but like mentality and nutrition and overall health and it's like i think (laughs) one of the best things you guys do is like stop being a dick it's like stop playing netball, basketball, and going running and doing five CrossFit sessions. You're doing too much, and because I, I want to do everything, because I'm so excited to be healthy, and I'm so excited that I can do these things, that I want to do all of them. You know, it's like Queen say, "I want it all. I want it now." Yeah. But to have that Great accountability time. with you guys keeping an eye on me and going, "Why? Why do you? Why do you want to come into the gym and smash yourself?" Remember we had that conversation mm. and you were like, yeah. "What to what end? What What is your definition of working out and getting a good workout in? And I was like, oh, when I'm on the floor sweating and I can't breathe, that's when I'm at, nailed it. <laughs> You're like, that's not always the right thing. This is really the answer. Yeah. So it's working on reframing that and there's that whole like workout because you love your body not because you hate it and so I want to make myself stronger and keep my weight off in a healthy way um it's just finding that equilibrium between pushing hard and not pushing too hard and plus you get to like 
kind of work with us now and you get to spend a few hours transcribing this podcast now and, and learning about muscle protein synthesis and biopsychosocial health and all kinds of things listen people listen you're in a great place do you know what i mean <laughs> you're learning we're educating along the way but that was a sick story that was really good thanks so where's your mindset at now going forward uh it's still all over the place i'm still learning um what but getting in tune with my body and learning what is good and bad pain is still not where it needs to be of course yeah because this is important no, this is like still definitely still ongoing it hasn't even been six oh just over six months yeah yeah and, and so it's working through there's a lot of um, mental health ramifications that I'm working on now and keeping an eye on things like I had to do another bladder pressure test uh, two days ago and keeping an eye on my kidney function and like my life is different mm. and I'm different it's just about like you said I'm not the person I was and so being approaching things differently is um, like trying to shift my mindset has been a big focus mm. and it's a ongoing battle and I think obviously you'll always have physical problems with your kidneys like you said one day you'll need a transplant but you know it's probably overall and this don't want to come across the wrong way it may be a blessing to some extent you know like you're back in australia now you're now doing your masters you're going to end up have a an amazing career media mogul yeah in you know in <laughs> in australia with rebuild um yeah we're excited you know you've come in here you know we're glad that we can be you know a part of it and a part of the mindset shift above the physical shift um so yeah, there's a it was good. It was great. I th I'm very happy it happened. Now you just got to get you behind the camera again. I'm definitely happy to be home, and I think my work is great because being in a healthy place is helping me, like mentally, be in a healthy place. Mm. Rebuilding mm. lives. Boom. <laughs> you going? And you going boozing this weekend for your birthday? <laughs> it's not my liver. Wait, yeah, fun fact, <laughs> alcohol doesn't affect your kidneys. You just have to make sure you catheterize enough and keep hydrated. I was going to say this. Say if you got like hammered, you know, like, but then, mm. you know, you've got to have a wee. So I can last like four hours between wees. Yeah. Because um, I've got a mega bladder. That's so cool. <laughs> it's like a superpower. You're so, you're so lucky, Kate. Well, it's, um, it is handy because I can kind of schedule my ways so I don't need to worry about it popping up. Do, do you have to get up in the night? Yeah. It's pressure. I can't feel like I need to wait. I feel pressure like I'm really bloated and then mm. I'm like, oh, that's full. Like I need to do it. It's also really handy. It's like a she-wee because when I had to get a um, – You stand and pee. Yeah. <laughs> or in a bottle. It's like the aim is easier if I have to do urine samples. Hey, don't talk to us about aim. You know what I mean? We're pros. Too much you information. Sit the, you sit down the way. I, the majority of my wheeze are sit-down wheeze. Yeah. Why? It's, there's just more comfort in it. It's more relaxing. I think if I, I had better I hips, I could get around it. I Is just, that why you're in the bathroom for so long all the time at the gym? Yeah, that's it. I'm <laughs> trying to get away from Sean. Texting. Yeah, we add to eight, 85%. Yeah, percent. Crazy. Maybe more. If I'm out and about, then no, I'll just stand and go. But if not, and especially now we've got kids, they'll probably take longer. <laughs> Just like hide in the bathroom with my phone. <laughs> have another wee. Um, have I got any more questions? <laughs> Do you have any more questions? No. No, all good. No. 
All good, Kate. Any yeah. last words? Where can people find you? Obviously, you are. Oh, yeah. Kate of Oz, C-A-I-T-O-F-E-S. Now, you got a little media hustle now as well. Oh, yeah. Bonfire Digital Media. Uh, that's my digital content agency, I guess. She's very, very good. And you can't have very her. very lucky to have her. <laughs> Stay away from her. That one doesn't exist. She's yeah, yeah, lying. She's <laughs> lying. Just find a personal one, not her business one. 